imagine the contrast between rural Alabama and the urban chaos of Amman, Jordan in the Middle East. But even though you're in a radically different culture, speaking a new and difficult language, you begin to identify more and more similarities between your life in Alabama and life half a world away. How is this possible? You're listening to 2233, a podcast of Exchange Stories. We visited the Dead Sea, of course, which is also one of the hottest places I've ever been. It, when you're like, when you get there, because it's so low, the lowest point on earth, you take off your shoes to like go in the sand, but then you realize that the sand is like burning hot. You have to like, you have to wear sandals. And then when you get to like the actual Dead Sea, you realize that no one actually swims in it. They get in and they float, they take their pictures and they leave and go get in the pool or go to the spa. And when you're walking into the Dead Sea, depending on where you are, there's like, because it's so salty, there are salt crystals on the ground and they cut your feet. So they're like, oh, be careful not to have any cuts when you get there, which I didn't. But then by the time I left, I had cuts all over me that were burning with salt because the ground was cutting me and I was trying to get my pictures in the floating of the Dead Sea. It's, it's an experience, but it's really, it's really worth the experience of like burning um, in the cut or like having salt in the wound, literally. This week, Dead Sea photo ops, religious sacrifices, and learning to run on Arab time. Join us on a journey from Alabama to Oman to discover that grandmothers everywhere just want to keep you fed. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. I study international affairs and concentrate in conflict resolution. And within that, I sort of informally concentrate on the Middle East, North Africa region, as well as arts and culture preservation. Um, and this past summer, summer 2018, I spent um, two months in Amman, Jordan, on a critical language scholarship studying Arabic. It was an Arabic intensive program, and our um, we have this thing called, uh, I guess it's a language contract that you sign. And you're only allowed to speak the target language when you're with any of your professors, um, with in the center, anything like that, with your host family. And it's better if you speak it with your friends as well. In Amman, they have a lot of ancient ruins. They have the Citadel. They have um, this ancient Roman amphitheater. And so um, when we were out visiting those, of course, we were doing everything in Arabic. But that was really nice. So it, you just kind of were tossed into it. I think it was the second day after a tour of Amman, where they, a sort of tour of Amman, where they just kind of drove us around into shed sites that we signed the language contract. And then you're bound by it. When I was able to talk to my host mom about like my grandparents in Alabama and like our farm, and um, she was talking about how like she cooks with fruit a lot and all these different things. And I was able to be like, Oh, my grandmother and I in Alabama, we make, you know, jam every summer when I'm home. Or as a kid, like we would, I would go out strawberry picking with them or go, go out and experience these things with food with my grandparents and relate that to what she was cooking. Or they have this dish, it's called bujilla. And it's like these stewed greens that she usually puts chicken on and then she serves it over rice. And I think of like collard greens or turnip greens in the South. And that was what it reminded me of. 
Um, and so it was like this sort of relational identity between the time that I was having in Jordan and the time and like my family back home that I would talk to regularly, but it was like some, I hadn't been in Alabama in so long. And so it was really nice to just sort of feel some sort of comfort. She was baking a, a pound cake, like an orange pound cake one day. And the same thing came to mind because we have several blueberry bushes behind our house in Alabama. For every like major event, whether it be a funeral, a wedding, anything, my grandmother always makes a blueberry pound cake. And so it was, even though it wasn't the same fruit, it was the same sort of idea of like, this is something that she really enjoyed doing. Um, and she would often make one before I would go on a trip and she would give me a lot of slices and be like, give these out to your friends. And so I was able to share and sort of have that, that sharing identity or that open and welcoming environment that I think is so stereotypically Southern that people attribute to it, halfway across the world in the Middle East. In terms of like societal experiences, I never really felt uncomfortable in Jordan. However, in Morocco, I think this is just like a really interesting story. Um, I was there for Eid al-Adha. It was like my second week in Morocco. Eid al-Adha is like, the, in Islam, is the day of sacrifice. So I think it follows like 30 days after the end of Ramadan and every family gets a sheep, like at least one, if not multiple. And if they get it like a week before, they keep it in like a communal space, if they're like in an apartment building, or sometimes they'll keep it like tied up to the, like in a bedroom or something like that. However, it was really cool. I was like my second week there and Eid al-Adha comes around like the day. Um, and it's like this big day where you like wake up, you have a, uh, like a small breakfast with your family, you like chat. Then the butcher comes around and they go downstairs and like bind the sheep's legs. And then they pick it up and they bring it all the way up. They brought it, I was in an apartment building. So they brought it up the elevator and then into our apartment and we had a two-story apartment. It had a spiral staircase. And so they took the sheep out onto our balcony and then they do the whole ritualistic um, sacrifice. So you're sitting, you're literally sitting there watching um, the sheep that you had seen all the week. And then all of a sudden they slit it, they like sacrifice it, they slit its throat. They wait for a little bit, then they hang it up, they skin it, they take out all the organs and you just see the sheep hanging out from your balcony that's like outside your window. That's cultural shock. Like it was two weeks into being abroad and all of a sudden we're slaughtering sheep on our balcony. It was it was frightening, um, and then you have the whole ritualistic idea, um, where you the first day you eat the organs, and then the second day you eat like the tongue and a, a little bit more of the organs, and then the third or the third day you really start eating the like the actual meat. And so the first day after we like waited a little bit and everything was skinned, um, my mom my host mom starts cleaning and cooking, and then at like six or seven p.m. that night, all of a sudden we've got heart, liver, kidney and intestines in front of us to eat. Which surprisingly, the liver is extremely good. She, so most of it she would put in like a stew, but the liver she cleans and she like cooks a little bit and then she barbecued it. That and she would take like raw fat from the sheep. So like this pure fat and they would, she would skewer it and um, barbecue it. And so you have this like really melty, it was delicious. You'd put it in between bread, it tastes like a burger. But the whole idea is like, you you keep a third for your immediate family, you keep a third to like share with your extended family, and then you give a third to the poor. If you're from the South, you have deer hunting, and so you see them like go out. It's not, it doesn't have the same like religious identity, but for a lot of people, hunting and hunting season is a very ritualistic idea. Um, you go out hunting with like, fathers go hunting with their sons, things like that. You don't, like I said, you don't have the same ritualistic idea of like you keep a third, you keep a third for your extended family and you give a third. However, there's this sort of um, unhanded idea um, in the South of like you share with your friends and family, of course. And so like my grandfather 
um, shares with his friends and like they would like trade, I don't know, canned green beans for um, deer meat or like deer tenderloin. And so you sort of have the same idea where you're like, you have this bartering culture or this this giving culture where you're trying to share what you've done with everyone else. And so I think that's probably the best comparison that I thought of to the US. The Jordan, the baptism site is the Jordan River. Um, it's where all where John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And so you've got all these ancient churches and the ruins that they've preserved and like really tried to do that. But then you get to the real the river. And if you know anything about geopolitical politics, like I said, the border between Israel, Palestine, and Jordan is the Jordan River. And so you get to the baptism site, and there's like, if you think of a swimming pool and the lane dividers that are like buoys, that it's the literal like national, the geopolitical border between Israel, Palestine, and Jordan. And you're just kind of like standing there and you've got your feet like swimming in the water to be like, oh, I put my feet in the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. Um, but you're looking across the street or across the river and you see the same people doing it, but in a completely different geopolitical space and in a completely different area. I don't know. I just, that also sticks out in my mind that I was like, I don't know, two, three feet from the border of a country. Um, but like, it's so ideologically, like when you're thinking about it, you're like, I was that close. I could have crossed it, but you like are physically and legally pro like prohibited from doing it. I feel like I developed this thing called Arab time. Um, Arabs are habitually late um, to everything and that's just understood and so that's okay. And they're habitually late because they're taking their time. They're taking their time to say goodbye to, their, goodbye to their family. Or if they see a friend on the street, they stop and talk. They're not like, oh, I'm busy. Like they will sit and have a conversation with you and make that effort. And so in combination with Morocco and Jordan, I feel like I really developed some aspect of that because before I was habitually early to everything. And now I'm like, I don't like being late still but I'm more on time because I would prefer to take my time and plan for that. But also I don't want to rush myself to be there early when I can take my time. If I see a friend, I'll stop and say hi and be like, hi, I am going somewhere, but like, I hope your day is going good. Instead of just being like, hi, bye, I gotta go. Um, so I feel like I found a happy medium in that aspect of, um, I'm not, I'm not late. I'm not on Arab time, but, um, I, I feel more comfortable and more, more relaxed in terms of like just living my life and that's a part of it. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the US State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Worst, I'm the director of the Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, Jonathan Shirley told us about his experiences as a critical languages scholar, in this case, studying Arabic. For more about ECA exchange programs, including the Critical Languages Scholarship Program, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233, and we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Special thanks this week to Jonathan for being our tour guide to the Dead Sea and elsewhere. I did the interview and edited this episode. 
Featured music during this segment was Stars Fell on Alabama by Shelly Mann and his friends and Searching for Zelda by Lobo Loco. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came. And the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time. <laughs>